Hello and welcome to the GM Cancer Podcast. I'm Steve Bland and this is the podcast that takes you inside cancer services in Greater Manchester. Now normally we bring you all the latest news, the latest goings on uh, from right across the region but because it's the time of giving, it's Christmas, we are turning this episode over to you. We asked for your inspiration and for your experiences uh, that drive you and motivate you to work in cancer services and honestly we got an absolute ton and they're so inspirational so I do apologize if we didn't get to your story we have read them all thank you so much uh, I have four amazing guests but before we get to them just going to read you this one from Joyce Parkinson who is a Macmillan's benefits advisor at Wrightington Wigan and Lee NHS Foundation Trust and she says I joined Macmillan as a benefit advisor in June 2017 after working for the DWP for 37 years. I covered various roles there, but mostly enjoyed working directly with vulnerable customers who needed help and support regarding benefit entitlement. I heard about the role of benefit advisor with uh, Macmillan, and I realized that I could put my experience to good use in directly helping patients and their families navigate the complicated benefit system, help with the application processes, and enable them to receive their full entitlement at a time when they were trying to deal with their diagnosis. What an amazing uh, area to work in, Joyce. Thank you so much for getting in touch. Uh, we also got this from Jane Rogan, and Jane is uh, Jane manages the Manchester Cancer Research Centre Biobank. And she says, we supply human tissue samples to researchers across Greater Manchester and beyond to enable their translational research projects. And Jane says, I'm inspired every day by researchers who work tirelessly to drive forward new knowledge to treat cancer. Their hard work and dedication inspires me to be as dedicated as they are. Um, we'll come back to a couple more of those messages a little later on. But first, I want to introduce uh, my first guest, and that's Claire Goldrick. Now, Claire Goldrick is a pathway manager at GM Cancer. Claire, why don't you just uh, start off by explaining uh, what you do? Yeah, so I work as one of um, a team of pathway managers at uh, Greater Manchester Cancer Alliance. And my job is to facilitate five um, tumour-specific and cross-cutting pathway boards. So they're made up of a collection of um, representatives within that speciality across Greater Manchester. So we've got doctors, nurses, oncologists, radiologists, patient representatives, uh, members of uh, primary care, so GPs, um, dentists in the case of head and neck. So we've got representatives of every multidisciplinary team member that can take part in a patient's care uh, throughout their cancer pathway. And we work together collaboratively on service improvements uh, for that particular type of cancer. So um, every year we, we devise a work programme um, set from local and national priorities um, and bring together people from across the city to work on improving equity of uh, the fantastic care that um, is available across Greater Manchester. So it's it's very busy, but it's yes. it's a great it's a great role to have. <clears throat> yeah, it sounds busy. Um and and it sounds like a really interesting job, but I know um from the submission that you sent us uh, to appear on this podcast, I know that that wasn't always the plan, was it? This wasn't your the field that you planned to go into. No, not necessarily. I did um, an English degree, um which <laughs> it's probably got nothing to do nothing to do with it really I fell into this role through um through a friend just not knowing what 
what I wanted to do after uni, uh, like I'm sure many people, are, it happens to many people. And then before you know it, next year I'll have been in the NHS for 10 years. So I think sometimes these things happen for a reason, don't they? And you just end up working in a field yeah. that, that you find really interesting. And I started off working in cancer research um, at the Christie and then I've also worked for Cancer Research UK and then now I find myself working for the Alliance for nearly three years. So yeah, not necessarily intention intentional, <laughs> but I've I've stayed and I've stayed for a reason. So yeah, exactly. So that's what we're talking about in this episode is, is you know, reasons why people do, uh, do their jobs, reasons why people are inspired to carry on doing their jobs. So uh, tell us a bit about Amy. Amy was um, my best friend um, and she was diagnosed with Hodgkin's lymphoma um, a few years ago now. She died almost three years ago. Um, and it was... It, the you know the week she got diagnosed, I started a new job at Cancer Research UK, working on the uh, on trials for patients with Hodgkin's lymphoma. Um, and then the month that I started working at GM Cancer, she she died from from her cancer. So I think um, it was it's been pretty hard to to work in an environment that's talking about something that's so close to home. But I guess it it drives you to continue to do something whatever it is whatever small thing I can do if it makes it better for somebody else that that went through what she went through it makes it worth it I know that sounds really cheesy but I think it no 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 that's, I think it, that's, it helps I think it, yeah. it it helps to do something positive do something that brings yeah. you know light at the end or something that helps for people that have that didn't help your friend, but it may help somebody else. And that's what, I think that's what they would want. I think that's what, I mean, I, I know so many people who, who have got a similar thing. And I know when, I know when, um, for me, uh, for me, when Rachel died, um, my dad said to me, he said, you're going to want to get as far from cancer as possible. Just don't have anything to do with it. And I said, I don't really think I can do that because I wanted to actually do something that helped. And it's what you just said. It's, is trying to pull something positive out of something so awful. A friend of mine said it's trying to like pull something, you know, pull a body out of a out of a wreckage of a car crash or something. Yeah. It's, it's trying to get something positive out of out of something so awful. And I guess that, you know, over the you know the intervening time, the last you know three years since she died, but even before that, while she was ill, that must have really driven you in the way that you approach your job as well. Yeah, I think um, it. It's also working in a community of people that um, where where it's more okay to talk about it, because I know you know even through your uh, your podcast and and others we're we're always talking about how important it is to be able to talk about cancer and to be able to talk about dying and what that means and I think I'm more able to talk about that with work colleagues or people because you know they understand you know that there's a reason why we're all brought why we all find our way into this. Um, into this field of work where it's okay for me to have this conversation with you for example it's it's harder to do that with um with with people that don't work in this field and people who are Mm. still afraid to talk about the big c um and it's uh, i guess in a way in a way people that work in an an industry that or industry is the wrong word probably a a profession that like really matters to them for a personal reason they're lucky actually you know in a way because 
you know, a lot of people, I don't know if you're a, this is no dis- a disrespect to pen salesman, but if you're a pen salesman, I can't imagine you go to work with a great deal of passion for your job every day, but you must have like a real deep passion to make a difference because of what happened to your friend. Yeah, I think it drives you to keep going, keep moving forward, even if it feels like a slow progress. It's it's something and you know that eventually it will make a difference to somebody that you um that you know that will will get this disease. Um I think that's what I find so <clears throat> we find so important about having the patient representatives on the on our pathway boards and you know we facilitate co co production wherever we can within the work that we do because it keeps that patient focus so real um yeah i think that is one of the most important things that we do i bet amy was was pretty proud of the work that you're doing yeah i think so it was um it was quite weird you know but when i look back now i think it was probably more traumatic than i tend to remember you know i'd go tend to remember i'd go i'd go for a meeting and then pop and see her on the ward in the christie and then come home again and you know when i but I, I take a lot of comfort from that now. I think I, um, when I go into the hospital, I f- feel her as well as, yeah. you know, being there for a day job. So I think it's um, it's a it's a weird one, isn't it? How it follows you, how yeah. it follows you around. But I think she was uh, always wanted to know what I was up to and what I was working on. So yeah, I do think I'll remember that for forever. Really carrying it along in whatever I end up doing in the future. And I bet that she. Um was really grateful to have someone that actually could have those difficult conversations. I know for Rachel, she found it very difficult that people uh, perhaps didn't understand. And so they kind of shut down the conversations and they weren't willing to have those tricky uh, uh, talks about these difficult topics. And I bet Amy really appreciated having you, you know, who was working in this industry, in this field, who was able to have those conversations with her. Yeah, 100%. I think we kept it very real, very honest. We never, I was very conscious, you know, never to say you'll be fine, gloss over things, you know, oh, it's all going to be okay or you're making great progress because it wasn't and it didn't. So I think it was very important for us both to be able to have those honest conversations and I hope in some small way that helped, that did help her, which I think it did. But I, um, yeah, I totally agree. I think, you know. It must have done like you said, for, for Rachel to be able to have those honest conversations with people is is invaluable. In um, And I think, you know, she found that community of people online and through charities like Mummy Star and things like that. She found out she was um, she had cancer when she was pregnant. I think it was so important for her to have that camaraderie and group of people that, that understood. And I think on the other side, for those that support people through cancer whatever happens it's so important for us to have that other people to talk to and other people that get it and i think that's definitely what i've found working in the nhs and specifically working at gm cancer thank you so much to claire for sharing her story uh, and her inspiration and her reasons for wanting to work in cancer services uh, next up we've got Catherine fensom now i'm really excited about this one Catherine is the operational management lead uh, for the new Christie in uh, Macclesfield. Catherine, welcome to the pod. I'm really excited actually to hear about the uh, this new uh, Christie Centre at Macclesfield because I, um, I, I don't know if you know, my wife Rachel was treated at Macclesfield. It's our 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 nearest hospital really, and and it's and it's re- it's really exciting to hear a bit about uh, what's going on there as well as your role, obviously. So, 
let's begin there. Uh, do you want to tell me a little bit about your job and about um, this new really exciting centre? Yeah, um, yeah, I'm happy to tell you. Um, so the centre opened yesterday. Um, as you said, I'm the operational management lead for the unit. Um, I have worked with cancer services at Macclesfield um, more recently since 2012. Um, so I've been part of the project group putting this this new unit together. And um, the new unit, it's a fabulous opportunity in that <coughs> every, all our existing services that we had at Macclesfield that were delivered within the Cancer Resource Centre, which is where you would have come with your yeah. wife, all of those have now moved up into this new fabulous state-of-the-art um, Christie building on the, on the same site, just round the corner from where the old unit was. So this weekend, basically, we closed the chemotherapy unit in the Cancer Resource Centre on Friday lunchtime. We had removal men in on Saturday morning and we opened here on yesterday wow. morning, Monday morning. <laughs> wow. Uh, what, uh, what does your job involve then? What's your, I mean, so, are you just you sort of head honcho? Are you just, you're running the whole thing? What's your, what's your actual job? So there is a clinical lead who is, is my manager. He's the um, senior radiographer here, James McGovern. And I am, I'm responsible basically for making that the, that the building works and that the clinics all work, the chemo patients get in, basically making sure that everything other than the radiotherapy happens James is responsible for all the radiotherapy. I'm responsible for everything else, basically. What's the kind of capacity um, uh, difference in terms of the number of patients you can treat there? Because I know, I know, uh, previously at Mac, there was maybe enough room for what sort of six or seven to have chemo at the same time. What 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 sort of capacity do you have now? Yes, yeah, so and now we have um, 18, uh, 16 chemo chairs and two side rooms. So oh, yeah, we could, we're at the moment we're just we're only using eight of them but yeah. slowly over the next um next year we'll be increasing the amount of patients that we do treat here so um it will be patients who are seen at christie and are would normally have their chemotherapy at christie once i've had a couple of cycles and have been okay they'll be able to transfer their treatment to here to, so they don't have to do that long journey into christie what an exciting job for you to kind of oh, be uh, be yeah. so involved and to be able to lead this you know this really exciting new you know, new project and I guess to a degree having having been involved in the planning as well you've kind of had a bit of a blank canvas to kind of make it make it work how you want it to work. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, I was um, I've been part of the steering committee from the very first very first one since um, January. 2017 something like that 2018 right so yeah so I've been involved right from the very beginning and one of the things that was really important to us that patients were involved from the very beginning as well so we've had um, a patient experience group who have been involved in the design process they've they've been to, attended the steering committee so we have put the patient at the center of it but to be honest it is you know I feel like a, I feel a bit like a proud parent <laughs> that the unit is now open and that we are treating patients it's just yeah it's a bit mind-blowing to be honest fantastic and I think talking of patients uh, we should talk about about you because I guess I mean you can explain more about your history with your parents and everything but mm -hmm. I guess you know coming on onto that 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 gives you a bit more insight into what the patient experience should be yeah yeah and my dad 
my dad was diagnosed with um, cancer just as COVID. Well, he was diagnosed with colorectal cancer just as COVID hit last year. Previously, he'd been treated for um, malignant melanoma at the Christie. And my mum had also been treated for a malignant melanoma at the Christie. So from that point of view, I, I'd already had experience um, quite a few years ago. But then last year, as COVID hit, my dad got diagnosed with colorectal cancer, which was really hard because all of a sudden everything changed you know we weren't allowed into appointments yeah. with him um we just had to take him to the christie and drop him off at the door for his radiotherapy and it was it was really difficult really difficult and it made you appreciate how much how important it is to have those services local and easy for patients to get to and easy to access because the whole um the whole trauma of, of of just getting to the hospital, getting into have your radiotherapy without even having any radiotherapy, you know, that is tiring enough and ex- mentally exhausting for patients before they even start the actual treatment. So, yeah, it gave me a whole new insight on how important it is to have these services available close to patients' homes. That's what I was actually just, just going to ask about the insight. What what things have you brought into this new center that maybe you you've picked up in the last the last sort of year or so since your dad was diagnosed um it's it's all about ensuring that that there is somebody there to welcome the patient if they do have to come in by themselves making sure there is somebody that they can kind of almost latch on to and yeah. know that actually that person showed me to where I need to be now so that person will tell me where I need to go next just ensuring that there's that everybody has um a smile and a hello it's as simple as that and yeah. a car park car parking spaces that they can get to easily yeah car parking at mac hasn't always been the best has it no no and, <laughs> and i'm happy to say we have put additional spaces in good, so you good. know fingers <laughs> good, crossed for, for our patients attending the christie at macclesfield it should be slightly better than it has been oh yeah that'll be good definitely for radiotherapy patients radiotherapy patients we have a dedicated car park for them has you know what's happened uh, with your dad in recent times has that given uh, you an extra like spring in your step when it comes to your job has it given you an extra drive extra motivation to you know to make yeah. things better yeah and it, it it it's it's really hard to explain isn't it and you don't really want to kind of yeah. big yourself up at all but no absolutely i am so so passionate about this service i am so passionate of providing quality care for patients and making sure that, you know, they feel welcome, they feel at home, they know where they're supposed to be. I mean, one of the things about this unit is that there is only one waiting area. So if you come to this unit for chemotherapy, radiotherapy, um, complementary therapy, counselling, there is just one place to wait. So once you've attended once, you don't need to go wandering all over the hospital looking for different waiting areas and sub weights and things like that. It is just one place to come to. Because of what, what we've been through, it makes me so much more passionate about this service and getting it right and making it as simple and easy as possible for all patients. We've also um, built this unit with frailty in mind as well, you know, because patients in, in this area in, in East Cheshire, they, they you know, they, they are slightly older than the national average. So we've tried to make it um, accessible for everybody in that, you know, we have thought about um, the different colour floorings and things like that, so that there, there are clear paths. We have liaised with um, frailty services and dementia services just to make sure that we are not we're not contributing to anything um, additional just with the building. You know, they, they're going yeah. through enough stress as it is. 
without adding um, extra stress on top of that. So we've tried to make it as as simple and as and as easy as possible in a way. Well, that sounds fantastic, Catherine. One of my uh, one of my really good friends, uh, Kelly Smith, um, mm-hmm. was uh, treated at Macclesfield. I'm sure you you probably know Kelly, and and she did a lot of fundraising, a lot of you know a lot of work to try and well in the kind of lead up to this centre being mm. uh, being created. And I know she'd be massively proud of what it is, and and seeing it open would be it'd be hugely yeah. um, and, make her really happy. So it's it's fantastic definitely. to see it finally uh, come to fr- uh, fruition like it has. Yeah, I mean, to be honest, when we first had the phone call to say that Christy had um, chosen Macclesfield to be the site for its um, its 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 third unit away from the um, yeah. Withington site, we we couldn't we couldn't believe as a team we couldn't believe that we had been selected, and. The other thing we wanted to do, and, and Christy were really keen to work on this as well, was their other um, outreach units, so at Oldham and Salford, they're only radiotherapy, whereas this unit has got chemotherapy, outpatients, it's got an information centre. So it, we're providing a lot more here. This is, you know, it's more like a the word that people have used in the past, it's a comprehensive cancer centre. Yeah. Apart from inpatient overnight stays, we can do everything else here. Yeah. So, you know, we can even do some chemo radiotherapy, which again is is so it's so wonderful for our local patients to have access to that so close to home. And all the patients and all the local people who have been involved with fundraising, you know, should be so proud of what they've achieved because honestly this unit is it is beautiful and it is, you know, state of the art. And already, you know, the patients are, are, are smiling as soon as they come in saying, Oh my goodness, this is beautiful this is so nice and and you know we've got our same same receptionist that you probably um remember from when you used to come with rachel yeah. ali and emma ali and emma are on the desk saying hello to everybody and you know right. welcoming them as they would have done in the cancer resource center so even though the building has changed it's still the same people here and That's it's still fantastic. the same welcome that everybody gets that's fantastic. And uh, and just uh, uh, before I let you go, how's how's Dad now? Is he is he okay? How's he getting he on? Is, he is amazing. He's amazing. He he had so he had his radiotherapy last year. Then he had major surgery this year. He's he's eighty four, nearly eighty five. And he phoned me up yesterday on my way home from work to tell me he'd walked seven miles yesterday. <laughs> oh, good on him. Good on he'd, him. He had a little trip out and he'd, he'd done a seven mile walk. So he was very proud of himself. And yeah, he's he's doing brilliantly. Thank you. Thank you so much to Catherine. Now, before I get into my next guest, um, let me read out just one or two more messages from people that we've had. Uh, we've had this from Emma Halkyard. Now, Emma is an advanced nurse practitioner at the Christie. And uh, she said, I've worked in cancer nursing for more than 20 years in Manchester, New Zealand, and back to Manchester again, because being a Mancunian, where else would I work but in the largest single site cancer center in Europe? I've been inspired by amazing, innovative colleagues over the years who've collaborated in international research to move cancer treatments forward. I'm so very proud to do the job that I do, and I fundamentally believe there's always something you can do to help a person affected by cancer. That's amazing, Emma. Thank you for getting in touch. I've also got one from Tony Collier now. Now, lots of you might know Tony. I know Tony. Her Tony is a patient rep for prehab for cancer and Embrace GM and a 5K Your Way regional champion. Now, Tony says... As a stage four cancer patient, exercise has been a vital part of coping with the side effects of my treatment. And I believe really strongly that it should be for all cancer patients. Uh, So I helped shape prehab for cancer from a patient perspective. 
when I came across five, uh, 5k your way in brackets, an amazing support group for those living with and beyond cancer, I just had to get involved and I'm now Northwest regional champion and have helped to start 5k your ways in all f- four corners of GM. And uh, now we've had, we've had Kirsty on the podcast before from uh, prehab for cancer. Um, if you haven't checked out 5k your way, please do. It's absolutely amazing. Look Tony up on, on social media. He's all over it. You're very, very, very active and 5k your way is a fantastic thing to get involved with. Um, I've got one more message and I'll do that after uh, uh, my next guest. Now, Kath Comley is a commissioning manager for Planned Care and Cancer in Stockport uh, CCG. Uh, Kath, welcome to the podcast. Do you want to uh, first explain uh, what you do and uh, everything to do with your job? And and then we'll go into a bit about uh, your own sort of personal motivations for doing it as well. Yeah. So I've worked as a cancer uh, as a, a commissioning manager for cancer and planned care for the past two and a half years. So my job is working with our providers and with GM Cancer as the Cancer Alliance to ensure that patients receive the highest levels of care possible for their cancer treatments, ensuring that pathways are as effective as they can be to ensure that our patients get a diagnosis at the earliest possible stage, which means they can start their treatment earlier. And it just means that we can provide assurance to our local population that they're getting the highest levels of cancer care available to them. Um, as we said, this this podcast is all about, you know, tapping into uh, the people that work in, in GM and in cancer services and, you know, their own and your own um, sort of personal motivations. Um, you've got your own experience of cancer outside of your job, haven't you? With with a, I have, your yes. Dad, I think. Yeah, my dad and myself actually. So, right. um, my my dad's now eighty five, and he for quite a few years used to take trips to the bathroom at night, and like a gent, a lot of gentlemen of his age just thought it was his age, and eventually got him to go to the GP because it was really disrupting his sleep. And he um, was referred on a two-week cancer wait uh, to urology and um, was seen very quickly and had biopsies taken of his prostate. And he was diagnosed with low-level uh, prostate cancer. Um, he was given a choice of treatments and he chose to uh, use the hormone tablet uh, injections, um, but really didn't find that those suited him. And... They made him feel very unwell. And then he had another consultant took over his care who said, well, actually, because your cancer is so low grade, you are likely to die with it rather than because of it. So what we can do is regularly monitor your PSA levels um, and just keep an eye on you and see how you go. That's about six or seven years ago. And each year his PSA goes up a little bit further but actually his symptoms are, are they're relatively minor and um, he lives with cancer as so many patients are now. Um, for myself, about four years ago, I um, noticed a change in a mole and asked my colleague who is a dermat- has dermatology experience to have a look at it, who suggested I saw my GP about it. I went to see my GP who blurted out, because I think he was expecting just another mole, who blurted out, oh, my word, I think you've got a melanoma. 
and I hadn't thought of that. So I was really quite taken aback. Even as a healthcare professional, I was taken aback. I um, was very fortunate to see um, one of the dermatologists within two weeks. And they said, yes, I agree with your GP's assessment. We'll do an excision biopsy. And because I had gone to my GP so quickly, it meant that the uh, melanoma was one, which is called a melanoma in situ, uh, which meant that the biopsy had actually cleared it because it's just literally in that top surface of your of your uh, skin. And it means I don't need any more treatments. I mean, obviously, I need to keep an eye on my moles and I know what I'm looking for now. But actually, I was cured with just one treatment. And I think that's a very important thing for people to remember these days that you can be cured and you can live with cancer. My dad and I are both examples of that. So you were already working in cancer when all of this? I I wasn't working. No, I was was actually working um, with the GP practices in Stockport at the time. I wasn't a cancer commissioner at the time and probably would have been more clued in to the fact it might be a skin cancer and knowing what I know now but when you're sort of even though I was a nurse I didn't give skin cancer a thought to be honest it's it wasn't my my melanoma wasn't bleeding it it, yes it 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 might it probably changed color and changed shape slightly which is what alerted to me and it felt different and that's what made me go to my you know go to my GP but, yeah, cancer hadn't crossed my mind at that point. So you're now working in a profession. You're working in cancer services. You're working in an area that, you know, you presumably enjoy your job, you know, going to it with, with a spring in your step. But it actually it actually means something now to you, I guess, because you've, you've, you've had that personal brush with cancer with your dad and with yourself. It actually means something and it matters a little bit more than maybe it would have done before. It, it does. It, it certainly does. And I, and I think back... I'm a nurse by background. I qualified in 1993 and it takes me right back to um, being a student in 1991, actually. And I had done radiotherapy outpatients as my outpatient placement. And I had met patients who were undergoing radiotherapy and chemotherapy. And at that time, really, the chances of cure from a lot of cancers, chemotherapy and radiotherapy was about prolonging life rather than how it is these days where they often can be curative and then in Christmas Eve 1991 I was in A&E as a student nurse and I met a lady and she said oh I've been a bit I've been a bit naughty and left this and this lady had this fungating breast carcinoma and it was fortunate I'd done radiotherapy outpatients otherwise my reaction probably would have been very different And I'd think back to that lady and her family and they were being given her, she was being given a terminal diagnosis on Christmas Eve because people in the early 90s didn't talk about cancer. And I'm so glad now that people talk about cancer, even even our older generation talk about cancer now where people didn't before. People are being a lot more honest about cancer. We've got screening programs which, you know, pick up people's cancers at a very early stage. I've got two colleagues whose lives have probably been saved by the fact that they went to their breast screening program and things were picked up, lumps were picked up that they couldn't feel, which were cancerous, and they've been successfully treated. And that's what motivates me. I think how far have we come in 30-odd years with cancer treatments and what's available to our patients and the fact that people are talking about cancer, that's what motivates me. That's what gets me out of bed in the mornings, that actually 
we can we can help patients now we you know we can provide cure people are living with cancer my dad's an example of that and it's what excites me is the progress we're making in cancer treatment all the time the research that's going on all those things that's what motivates me to get up in the morning steve it's incredible actually i've you know, been talking to a few people of this podcast and, and in podcasts before and in other work that I've done as well. And it is actually amazing to see, you know, and I guess you sort of take it for granted that the motivation and the passion that people have for this, you know, for this profession and this area of work. And it, and it is because of, of the personal experiences that people have had. And it must be amazing to work with incredible people every day who who have that fire and that motivation and that passion to really make a difference. Absolutely. And and, and we're doing new things all the time. And it, it, it's things like, you know, our rapid in Stockport, we're just about to uh, develop and open our rapid diagnostic centre. And I'm so excited about that because it means that the patient who the GP thinks has got cancer and they just cannot sort out where their cancer are, for that patient, the experience for that patient should be so much better. We hoping to have patients with a diagnosis but in one, you know, having a diagnosis, a provisional diagnosis in one day. And and surely as a patient, that's what you want. You don't want to be being passed from, from specialist to specialist while somebody tries to get to the bottom of what's wrong with you. And thing we've just got all these fabulous therapies and we're so lucky in in, in Manchester. We've got We've got the Christie, we've got the proton beam therapy treatments. We've got everything for our patients now. Patients have first-class treatments. They've got the first-class treatment. They've got, they've got everything is there for patients now. And it's just like how far have we come and how far are we going to go with cancer? Now, before I get on to my final guest, um, I'm going to read out one more message. And that's from Saren Hughes, who's Head of Engagement uh, for Cancer Awareness for Teens and Twenties. And she says, I run a youth-led cancer awareness charity with another young person founded by students in Manchester with lived experience of cancer who realised there was a gap in provision for awareness of prevention and detection of cancer in young people. I was diagnosed with ovarian cancer age 19. I'm 26 now. And I realised that I never knew any of the symptoms. And if it wasn't for a proactive GP, I don't know where I'd be today. It opened up a whole new world for me and a passion to ensure less and less young people are diagnosed late with cancer. And everyone is empowered and informed from a young age as a tool for early interventions in cancer care. That's absolutely amazing, Saren. Thank you so much for getting in touch and for doing all the amazing work that you do. My final guest is Liana Goodwin. Now, Liana is a research practitioner at the Christie. Uh, Liana, thank you so much for getting in touch and welcome to the podcast. Should we start off by just you explaining a bit about your job and what you do at the Christie? Yeah, no problem. So um, I'm a research practitioner and I work in a team called the Digital Experimental Cancer Medicine Team. So we have a sister team here at the Christie called the Experimental Cancer Medicine Team. (laughs) And that team runs um, early phase uh, clinical trials of um, cancer treatments. But what our team does is we focus sort of exclusively on trials that use digital technology. Um, so the research practitioner role is one that's quite established in clinical research sort of across the board, really. Um, and it's one that sort of straddles the sort of behind the scenes things that happen on trials. So sort of admin related things. And then also there's the patient facing aspect as well. Um, research practitioners often pick up bits of the clinical work that like usually nurses would do mainly and um, sort of help kind of bridge that gap if there's any sort of there's any points where nurses kind of need extra support. 
So that's sort of the traditional uh, research practitioner role. Uh, mine, I guess, is a little bit unique in that I work exclusively, as I mentioned, on sort of digital technology in trials. So that's what kind of makes what I do a little bit novel, I guess. What sort of thing are we talking about when we talk about digital um, things in trials? What, what sort of thing, just for people listening? Yeah, good, good, very good question. So uh, one thing that's really important to our team and our kind of strategy of what we want to achieve is that the patient becomes a co-researcher and sort of transforms their role a little bit. So rather than being maybe passively treated as a patient, you become sort of more empowered and actively involved in what's going on. Um, so we're looking to build on something that we call a lab in the home. Uh, an example of how we do that is we run uh, technology clinical trials, um, which is sort of what I focus on day to day. As I mentioned, I work mainly in technology. So these trials are what I kind of, uh, my bread and butter really, my day to day job. Um, a bit of an example of how technology comes into that, uh, we have a trial called the in-home trial. Uh, and that trial is looking to uh, basically ask patients to do some extra in-home blood sampling. Um, so we help them out with a full kit. Uh, we train and educate on the whole process of taking blood samples. Uh, and with the in-home trial, what we're looking to do is monitor patients' kidney function. Um, a lot of cancer treatments can be really, really tough on your kidneys, um, which is obviously you know, an unpleasant side effect that you get from your treatment. Uh, and the idea is, is that if we can help patients be more empowered to sort of monitor their own kidney function at home and give us this extra data, we can help patients you know, have treatment for longer and then maybe have newer treatments as well. Okay, so that's... That's what you do now. Yes. Let's go back a few years. Uh, I see from uh, what you sent in, this all kind of started in 2014. Am I right in saying? Do you want to take us back to there? Uh, tell us about James and and how and how what happened to him inspired you to get into into this field. Yeah. So um, in 2014, I was working in market research. So I've always kind of been interested in research, but it was obviously sort of more commercial um, what I was doing back then. Uh, but yeah, 2014, myself and my partner James were both 25. Uh, in July of that year, he was diagnosed with acute lymphoblastic leukemia, um, which is obviously sort of awful and shocking anyway. But, you know, when you're 25 and he was very fit and healthy, you know, it's like to cycle a lot, exercise loads, um, didn't have any symptoms other than some fatigue was was kind of the only thing that made him realize that there was something wrong. He was sort of tight, unusually tired. Um, so, yeah, it was a very shocking diagnosis. Obviously, any cancer diagnosis is awful. But, yeah, it was sort of a particularly shocking situation, really. And how did that inspire you to get into into this area? And what uh, what were the first steps that you took to get into, into cancer services? So I think what um, inspired me to get involved in cancer research, particularly with James's story, is that he had a really difficult path through his treatment. So um, the majority of patients um, with the type of leukemia that he had do respond to chemotherapy. Uh, and then after that can have something called a stem cell transplant that people might know as a bone marrow transplant. Uh, and that's what they would look to use to sort of get long-term remission and, and cure for leukemia. Um, but James didn't respond as most people do. Um, he, the chemotherapy didn't work, basically. So the kind of standard of care options that were out there ran out pretty much for James. And he ended up going on to a clinical trial that was run through the Royal Marsden Hospital. So he left the Christie and went to the Marsden. And that was a, a trial of an immunotherapy drug. So a newer type of treatment than, than chemotherapy. And that was what got James to remission. So from that, he was able to come back up to the Christie and have his stem cell transplant. And that is why he's, you know, still with us today and is, you know, completely well and healthy. Um, so seeing, you know, basically seeing that trial save James's life, which, you know, that's what it did. 
it just made me think, well, do you know what? Maybe there's different types of research that I could be involved in that, um, you know, could help people like James. So that's sort of what inspired me, really. I love stories like that because I think a lot a lot of the time with trials, um, we sort of think of them a little bit negatively because of of the rates of response aren't always as high as maybe we'd want, but they're so experimental, aren't they? And it's amazing. I think it'll give anybody listening, you know, massive uh, confidence and 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 hope, you know, to to hear about the the reaction that James had to that that trial. It's amazing, and 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 I can fully fully understand how that would make such you know significant impact on you that you'd be thinking, this is what I want to do. This is this is where I can make a big difference. Absolutely. And, you know, obviously I'm, I'm not a, a clinician. I'm not, you know, highly trained like the doctors and nurses um, who work within cancer research. But, you know, that doesn't mean you can't make a really meaningful contribution. And, you know, a re- as a research practitioner, I can pick up some of the more basic clinical skills. Um, but, yeah, I can still I can still make a massive difference just by being involved, really. And um, and I see that's not where your sort of family cancer journey has ended. Your mum, I think I'm right in saying she's a patient at the Christie at the moment. That's right. Yeah. So in um, April of, of this year, my mum was diagnosed. Um, so she had a stage four um, diagnosis of, of something called cholangiocarcinoma, which is bowel duct cancer. So that's quite uh, a rare type. Um, so leukemia is very rare and this one's quite a rare one as well. So yeah, we've had a lot of bad luck with rare cancer types in my family. Uh, my mum's actually a part of a trial at the Christie at the moment. So she's treated here on the clinical research facility, which is where I work and where I'm based, um, being part of, of clinical research here. So yeah, she's she's treated on the same unit that I, I kind of work on every day, which is amazing, but quite strange as well. <laughs> yeah, I bet it is. Um, what an amazing thing though for you to, to see, you know, loved ones, go through something so difficult and know that actually your job is is helping if not helping them helping you know so many other people that maybe go through the same thing you're actually making a really big difference to something that you know means a lot to you it must be amazing to have that feeling yeah it really is and it's just really interesting what you say about you know sometimes trials having a bit of a a negative perception around them because of response rates and things like that but in my experience having started to work with patients you know through the trials that I work on the technology clinical trials so many patients genuinely have that motivation of well this if it doesn't help me right now it doesn't help someone else right now this going through this process means that in future it will help people and that's really inspiring to see as well you know people have that motivation to help other people and, and not just not just themselves yeah which is amazing that's absolutely what uh, my wife Rachel was was involved in a clinical trial towards the end of her life her treatment and um that was absolutely her her point of view that you know it gave her you know something positive to hold on to even when her own situation wasn't you know wasn't perhaps going that well and it gave her the hope that you know why couldn't she be the one of the I don't know one in ten or, or whatever it might be for that particular trial you know who got a good you know a really great response more than one in ten probably but you know why couldn't she be one of those people and and it gave her a massive amount of hope but yeah uh, more than anything it was just that idea that she was really contributing to something that was going to help a lot of people in the future that must be something that you see yeah you see a fair bit absolutely and I'm, I'm sure you sort of feel this as well you know doing the work that you do you have that 
not extra empathy, but you do have that unique insight into what it's like to maybe not be a patient, but be one of those people that's there supporting a patient going through what they're going through. Because I think sometimes that's quite hard as well. If you're the person sort of watching and there and supporting, you can feel really helpless. Um, there was a conversation I've always remembered between James and his consultant here at the Christie who said that, look, you and I have a job to do. And he said this to James, like, I'm here to treat you and help you get better. Your job is to obviously, you know, stay as well as possible, you know, have the treatment. It's the people around you that don't have a defined role. And mm. can and that can, that can so be true. really hard. And, you know, and then you also feel very... I, I always used to say people would ask when James is ill people would ask me how I was doing I'd be like oh you know well it's James that's ill I'm not the one that's ill and I, that was kind of a reflex of the thing that I would say but you, you sort of feel I guess you don't have the right to be struggling when you're you know watching someone you love go through something so terrible but it's completely valid that you will be struggling as well and you know it's a it's a such a difficult thing to go through so yeah I I feel that a lot when I engage with patients in my job. Uh, uh, Leanna thank you so much for coming on that was that was really, really, really interesting. I love hearing about trials because I, I'm, I'm passionate about them as well. I know, you know, I do a lot of work for uh, CIUK, for example, and you know the money they put into, you know, all the trials and all the research and all the work they're doing to to cure cancer and to find you know new and amazing innovative treatments are is is fantastic. So, yeah, thank you so much for coming on. Ben, thank you so much for everything you do as well. Honestly, it's really inspiring. Obviously, I can really kind of understand your point of view as with everything that you've gone through with Rachel as well. Um, so yeah, you know, keep doing what you're doing. It's amazing. Wow, 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 wow. That's absolutely, um, yeah, blown my mind speaking to Claire, to Catherine, to Kath and to Liana. Um, and thank you uh, for so many of the messages that you've sent in. Um, it's genuinely inspirational and it's amazing. I know... I know I mentioned to, uh, to Claire, I think it was, about pen salesmen. I'm not having a go at pen sales. If you're a pen salesman, you do an amazing job. But what a, an amazing privilege it is uh, for these people um, who uh, we've spoken to today to work in cancer services and to make a difference in an area where they've got real passion. And I know that passion is matched you know, right across the region. It's not just uh, uh, those we've spoken to today. So, yeah, so... Um, on behalf of myself, um, thank you so much to everyone listening. Thank you so much for the work you're doing. Um, I know it's a really difficult time. Um, and I know Christmas isn't easy anyway, but thank you so much for everything that you do. Thank you also for listening. Um, if you have any feedback, look up GM Cancer on uh, Twitter or on Facebook. And uh, the last thing to say is have a wonderful Christmas. I know it's bit of a tricky one for so many people but I really hope you have a wonderful Christmas hope you stay safe and we will speak again in the new year bye